November 6, Pennsylvania passed Act 26 of 2023, repealing a section of its public school code related to religious garb, insignia, and similar attire, and sparking questions about the intersection of personal beliefs and the public learning environment. What exactly is Act 26? What language of the public school code did it repeal? What does religious garb mean in the context of teacher apparel? We'll explore this change in the law on today's episode of The Legal Lunchroom. I'm Rich Campbell. And I'm Jonathan Huerta. We are attorneys with the Kingsbury Law Firm in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Welcome to The Legal Lunchroom. Each episode, we'll be looking at the laws that affect school boards, administrators, students, and our community. Thanks for tuning in. Joining us today are education and employment attorney, Liz Kelly, and Easton Area School District Superintendent, Tracy Piazza. Welcome. It's great to have you with us on the podcast. Thank you, Rich. Thank you for having me today. Let's start with introductions. Tracy, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I am the superintendent of the Eastern Area School District. I have been with the school district for 35 years, however, in this particular role for six months. And I actually live in the community as well. So very excited to be you know, part of the district for so long. It's a, it's a wonderful community. I do have some legacy there. My father was also the superintendent, and so that's a source of pride for me as well. And there really is no other place I'd rather work. I went to East Stroudsburg for my undergraduate and my principal certification, Wilkes for my master's, and Marywood for my PhD, which I am an ABD at this point in time. Well, great. Thank you, Tracy. We are excited to have you on. And uh, how about you, Liz? Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? My name is Liz Kelly, and I am an attorney at the law firm of King Spry, Herman Freund, and Fall in Bethlehem. But I'm a resident of Easton, Pennsylvania, so I live in the Easton Area School District. Go Rovers. And I enjoy living in downtown Easton very, very much. I've been practicing law for the past 29 years and practicing specifically in the areas of labor and employment for virtually all of that time with possible exception of one or two years and in education for the last 13 years which is why it was so surprising to me that uh it took so long to repeal the particular law that we're going to talk about today well thank you liz happy to have you on so let's dig in liz what is act 26 well It is new legislation that repeals a very old law going back to the early 1900s, and the older law banned public school employees from wearing any visible religious garb. It also enacted the same prohibition against school directors who are elected officials, which is a little unusual. The school code doesn't speak to too many reasons for why school districts School directors, elected officials, can be removed from their position. The former law did, in fact, provide for uh, fining if a school director were to wear religious garb. Uh, But the new law repealed that, simply repealed it. It's now gone. There was absolutely nothing left of it. Much as I would have suspected all along, employees of school districts, public school districts, are now permitted to wear religious garbs. What kind of things fell under the heading of religious garb? It sounds like almost anything. If you look at the case that this uh, repealer goes back to actually occurred back in 2003. So there was a big gap between court holding that the provision was unconstitutional and the actual repealer of the law itself. But it it would apply to anything like a cross, a yarmulke, a hijab, or even just a T-shirt with some kind of religious message or symbol or photo or a drawing. 
so Tracy, you've you said you've been in your current position for six months, but obviously you've been with the district for many, many more years than that, and you've been in all different positions throughout this time. To your knowledge, does dis, does the district have a formal policy to uh, prohibit specific religious garb? We do not. We have t- we do have two policies that mention religion in them, or uh, maybe around this vein. One is our religion and education policy, and the other is our dress code policy. However, within those two policies, while our dress code policy talks about what students can or cannot wear, staff can or cannot wear, religion is not mentioned within that policy. Anything related to religion is, is not mentioned within that policy, nor is it mentioned in our religion and education policy. That is more around the teachings of religion and, and the do's and don'ts around that. So we do not have a formal policy around this particular incident. So you talked about the dress code. Um, you know, what do they mention? Do they focus more on, on you know, impact on education or... Absolutely. It talks about um, dress code being prohibited if it is impacting the learning of other students or causing chaos within the um, educational environment. You know, over the years that has morphed and been redefined in terms of what's acceptable and not acceptable. Um, And certainly students test those policies and procedures at times. But really, the educational conversation comes back to how much policing do you want to do around dress versus tending to the leadership and education of students. And so you have to find a happy medium between the balance of what keeps some order within the environment, but allowing students to have their personal expression and rights as well. All right, Liz, let's go back before Act 26. What were the repercussions of wearing religious garb to school as a public school employee? Well... Uh, I have to imagine that many principals and other high-ranking school administrators probably just asked for the item to be covered uh, or maybe even removed. But the under the law, uh, the penalty was pretty harsh. It provided for an automatic suspension of one year for a first event offense and for removal for a second offense. And not just removal, permanent disqualification from teaching in said school is what it actually stated. Uh, This is probably the harshest penalty for a school employee available under the school code. And also it provided for uh, a fine of approximately $100 for a school director who would commit the offense of wearing religious garb. And if the school director committed a second offense, the school director would be sentenced to pay another fine of $100, but also be deprived of their office as school director for five years. Liz, can you then give us a sense of the the timeline or generally why the new law was passed? Well, sure. Um, The previous law was challenged many times. Uh, The first time it was challenged was in 1908. So remember, the school code goes back to the 1800s, some of the older parts of it. Um, This one apparently was pretty old. But the most recent challenge was back in 2003, so approximately 21 years ago. It was a case named Nichols versus Aaron Intermediate Unit 2-8. The plaintiff, Nichols, is a woman who was suspended for wearing a small cross necklace. After being suspended, she sued the school district for interfering with her First Amendment rights. The case was apparently filed in the United States District Court, so federal court for the Western District of Pennsylvania, and the court ruled in Mrs. Nichols' favor. Many people already thought that the law was an infringement of freedom of religious expression, and the ban on religious garb became very sporadically enforced. That's interesting, and and yet there was a 
20-year passage of time from the, the Nichols case um, until this actually made its way to the legislature. Yes, that is a big question in my mind too, Rich. I have no idea what explains that gap. All right. Well, Liz, in plain language, tell us what does Act 26 mean in practice? Well, in practice, it means that school employees are now free to wear any religious garb that might be required by their religion while they teach in a public school or just any other garb or insignia that might uh, tend to reveal what faith they adhere to while they're teaching in school. Liz, do you find a a time of the year where where this could become uh, more of an issue? I would say probably around holiday times. I don't know that I would limit it to just one, but I mean, the the big holidays in winter or uh, even in fall, uh, there are some big holidays for some faiths at that time. It's possible that that might be a time when people might be more motivated to wear things that might tend to show their faith. Liz, correct me if I'm wrong, but prior to the repeal of this law, students already had the right to express themselves with religious garb. It was, this was strictly limited to, to staff. Is that correct? That is correct, Jonathan. So, Tracy, we heard Liz talk about the holiday season, and, and certainly, you know, we just talked about the fact that Easton doesn't have a, a policy on religious garb, but certainly a related aspect is is simply religious expression during the school day. So how does the district actively strike a balance between celebrating holidays, which, as Liz mentioned, are often tied to particular religions, and maintaining focus on education and learning? So that's a really good question, Um, and particularly noticed in our elementary schools more than our secondary schools in a lot of ways. As our elementary teachers and students like to celebrate, you know, the traditional holidays that people might think about in public schools, um, our secondary schools may do that a little bit differently. And so for us, it is a couple of things. It's one, trying to respect the faith of all of our clientele. And while there may be um, a celebration that leans towards one faith or another, we try to have alternative activities for students um, so that they're not forced to participate in a, in a particular activity. But we always also really focus on uh, the education and, and perspective awareness around the holidays so that we're not concentrating on just one that we're giving some information about multiple holidays that happen during that season um, to broaden the students' uh, awareness around different cultures and religions of their peers within that same classroom or school. Sure. So so always kind of linking them back to the educational aspect of it, making them aware of it. You know, certainly no coercion or anything of that nature. That's, that's where the, the line would obviously be drawn. Are you able to pray before you take a test? So absolutely they can, and it, that, you know, too brings up a good point that we certainly can have students, you know, gather as an individual group and, and say a prayer or whatever faith-based mantra they want to do um, on their own time. It's not led and it's not scheduled within our schedule, but it's certainly their right um, to gather as a small group of, of individuals and, you know, praying before a test, I'm sure there are lots of, uh, lots of words that are, that are said before tests are taken. So. That's how I got through law school. <laughs> You've given us a great sense of the law and how it came to be. Now, what should school districts do in response? Well, I think Tracy captured, you know, the essence of it when she said, you know, allowing and accommodating religious dress for either students or employees is to take it from a standpoint of respect and fostering respect for people's faiths, uh, no matter what they are. So by allowing the employees to wear religious garb or insignia, it now becomes fact that the school district must respect the employee's choice to wear that insignia or garb. 
So Tracy, does does the district have specific policies or guidelines in place regarding holiday celebrations in school to ensure that they're inclusive and respectful of diverse beliefs and backgrounds? So again, we do. Um, it's not it's not a policy. However, it's in our handbooks as procedures, and some of that has to do with those alternative activities that I talked about. Um, not forcing anyone to participate in something that may be against their their religious belief. Um, it also has to do, you know, do with the practices. How are we celebrating that? What types of foods are included? So it's an inclusive procedure around holiday celebrations. But when you're talking specifically to religious holidays or faith-based holidays, the, the biggest one most certainly that gets talked about or biggest two that get talked about in schools are Halloween and that, you know, elicits responses um, from folks and many districts have gone to calling them fall festivals and moved away from the traditional Halloween celebration. And the other one um, is Christmas and a lot of districts in Easton is certainly no different in that we try to um, have equal representation of the holidays that fall around uh, that winter time. Um, again, trying to do a little bit of knowledge and teaching around different holidays that fall within time periods so our students are aware of you know, their friends and their classmates and what they might experience. Um, and certainly as a district, trying to be inclusive of all individuals and making sure that our staff and um, students feel appreciated and a part of our community, we have to be mindful of that and try not to overrepresent one holiday you know, than another. But we don't have a particular policy. It's more in procedures and practice that we uh, expect of our staff. And Liz, what's what's your take on districts drafting and enforcing good policies or guidelines regarding holiday celebrations in school? Uh, Well, my take is, and I want to go back to something Tracy said, I think the most important thing to keep in mind when policies are being drafted or guidelines, regulations, you know, whatever guidance the school chooses to give, and I do think they can choose, Um, for themselves what type of guidance they want to give is to come from a place of respect and, you know, respect that some people are going to want to make choices that are different from those of other people. But in the public school, you know, we really do have to be all things to all people. And that means basically respecting where each other are coming from and, you know, not necessarily enforcing one tradition over another. Uh, giving any weight to one particular tradition, as as Tracy said, but enabling celebration to occur as the students and the employees choose. Well, thank you both, Liz, Tracy, for uh, joining Rich and I today. Um, you know, I think we started off the conversation talking about Act 26 of 2023 and how you know, there was a unique um, timeline where, frankly, I think most people recognize that it was unconstitutional and, and, and probably not enforceable, you know, 20 plus years ago. However, we're finally seeing the legislature react. And I think it just reminds us that there's a misnomer that school districts are religion-free zones. And, and frankly, it's, it's the opposite. While the school itself certainly cannot persuade or coerce or identify specific religions, students, and now certainly spelled out in the legislation, teachers are free to express themselves and their religion however they deem appropriate, so long as there's that balance where it doesn't impact, um, you know, certainly the the educational aspect of the school environment. I think it'll be interesting to see whether any cases emerge pushing the boundaries of Act 26 in the sense that employees may attempt to justify uh, offensive or otherwise prohibited dress under the new law. Thank you both for inviting me to be with you in this legal lunchroom today. 
Yeah, thank you for having us. It really has been a pleasure. Tracy and Liz, it's been our pleasure. You were wonderful guests, and we certainly appreciate you being here. Thank you, everyone out there, for joining us today for The Legal Lunchroom. If you like our show, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also visit our website at kingspry.com to find more education law resources and programming. This podcast is a production of King Spry's Education Law Practice Group. It is meant to be strictly informational and does not constitute legal advice. Should you have any questions about our topic today, please consult with your local legal counsel. And this episode was produced by Steel Pixel Studios. Our theme music is by Don Lotney, and our research assistant for this episode was Morgan Enman. Have a comment or suggestion for a future episode? Write to us at legallunchroom at kingspry.com. Until next time, I'm Rich Campbell. And I'm Jonathan Wadatha, and we hope you will join us again in The Legal Lunchroom.